Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back to our theme this month called Shut the Culture Up. And today's episode, we have myself, Maria Rodriguez from Real Talent, as well as Michelle Elder from Real Talent. And we have another special guest. Welcome back, Nicole Metzel. Hey, hey, hey. Nicole is with us today because she also wants to help shut the culture up, right? So we talked about in our last podcast about how large companies really have the financial means to do it well. Now, we're not saying everyone does it well, but we mentioned on our last podcast, we're like, you know, there are companies that literally tell you how their culture is in the interview process. And like Amazon, right, they'll go through and they'll talk through some of those pieces on really they're a very work hard type of culture and organization. And then you have the small startups that do it really well because they're super ecstatic about their new company, their new joint ventures, whatever it is, right, that they're working through. And so, startups, you know, not saying that they per- they have it perfect each and every time, but it's really that middle-sized company where you're like, hmm, what the hell happened? And so we are really trying to help our middle-sized companies, and all companies, anybody who's listening on this call right now, whether you are a business owner, whether you're in the HR department, or you're an employee at an organization, and you're like, dude, the culture. What is up with this? And I know, Michelle, you talked on the last podcast that employees will tell you what your culture is. It's defined. You may not necessarily know it, though. Correct. You know what? The Without question, when you think about culture, it is the stuff that people do every day. And those actions build up to sort of that story of who you are. And as an organization, if you're not playing a role in driving what that culture is for the organization, I promise you there's some really outspoken employees that have decided what the culture is. Um, and so uh, you're still going to have that. You're always going to have that those pockets, like you mentioned, Maria. But the thing is, if we sit back as leaders and take no active role in defining what our value system is, it means that we sort of have to accept what we get. Yeah, so, you know, totally agree. I think that's something that we need to identify and help our listeners identify. But Nicole, have you worked for an organization? Doesn't matter if it's medium size, but could you tell your people leader or the CEO what the culture was like there? Are we spot on with that? Or are there people who really don't know what the culture is in the organization? No, I think I think if there's people that don't know what the culture is in the organization, they're usually not the frontline employees. They're usually the CEO or the COO that are so removed from that day-to-day interaction that they have they may have an idea of what they think it is, but they don't truly know the culture of their organization because they're not in the thick of it day in and day out. Do you think that's true? I mean, I think if a CEO was listening to this podcast right now, they would call bullshit. 
They could try. I agree with you. I agree with you. So the funniest experience I ever had in my life, and it was spot on at a former organization, we taught a week-long leadership development session. And one of my peers, Diane, was prepping the COO to talk to to talk to the room of people, probably about 25 leaders from across the country in the room. She prepped her really well. We were really great at prepping them for what they were coming into. And at the end of it, the COO had discovered some things that she did not realize. And as she was leaving, she asked Diane, she said, I don't get it. Why won't they tell us? And Diane quoted a children's book that she basically said, no one will ever tell the emperor that he is naked. There is in every organization, whether your company has retaliation or not, what I found, and I've seen it in every organization, there is this fear of if they don't like my message, there will be consequences. So people don't. People are not honest with that C-suite level. They're just, they're not. Well, and really to kind of piggyback off of that, I worked for an organization that was probably medium going towards larger, but a lot of times you could have, so perfect example, I was outside having a cigarette on the side of the building and the CEO was walking in the door and he started chatting with me because he's really big on transparency and culture and stuff, right? And so I'm being honest with him because God knows I don't have a filter. And so I'm telling him what's great about my job and what's really terrible about my job. And he, while he was appreciative, right? When I told my my direct manager about this, she was like, you can't say that. And I'm like, why? So sometimes it's not even that the emperor can't be told that they don't have any clothes on, right? The emperor might be all about knowing that I'm somebody, please, for the love of God, tell me I'm naked, but the people around the emperor won't allow it to. Right. So I think it really, I almost think middle management is the most to blame. So how do we help them? Look, I think the number one thing any company can do as far as improving culture is a big focus on transparency. And I think a lot of times companies are, and you hear this a lot, right? Don't be negative, okay? They are more than willing to share the successes and look at our profit margins and look at how much we're winning. Heaven forbid anybody, either from the top down or or the bottom up, talk about the challenges, right? And so being transparent about your challenges as a company and allowing people to openly share their transparent challenges with you, right? That's how you create that trust relationship. It's no different than dating, right? We have issues. When you're building a relationship with your partner, you have issues. If you continue to ignore them and not talk about them, ish hits the fan, right? Right? You have to be able to have that dialogue. I'm going to challenge you. So when you say transparency, right, there are certain pieces that are the most critical components for transparency in an organization. And I want you to elaborate on that in a moment. But, you know, people ask for transparency all the time. During COVID right now, people, especially in the UK, I'll be honest, are the most wanting of transparency and they ask the most direct questions 
questions more than anybody in the U.S. that I've ever worked with, right? They they know their labor laws. They know their employment laws. They know their rights as employees in the U.K. They literally know everything about what needs to be done, but they also want transparency. But if an organization is literally going to lay off a bunch of employees now and then do it again in 30 days from now, you can't give them that transparency. And those are pieces of the puzzle that people want to know how the business is doing, right? So in a pandemic like this, it's a lot more challenging because you're literally going six to 12 months with not being transparent with your population because your business revenue is down. Look, there's two ways to address this, okay? The number one way that companies address this is, should I share this? That's the question that they ask themselves, right? I personally don't think that's the right question. What I think is the right question is, should I absolutely 100% conceal this, right? So, and if if it's 100%, yes, I should conceal it by all means. But there are things that companies conceal all the time, little things. Again, I'm going to go back to dating. It's kind of like, why the hell didn't you just tell me? You thought I'd be mad and I wasn't, right? That when they have to hide the big stuff, people don't trust them, right? People don't trust that the company is doing the best they can and in their best interest because they hide everything, right? So no, do you have to tell people that you're going to lay some, you know, you're going to lay off 500 people today and 500 more people in 30 days? No, you don't have to tell them that, but you can be, my CEO is bless her heart. I adore her, but you know, she's kind of like, where I'm like, okay, be, be real. How is COVID impacting us, right? And I don't need you to tell me that we're not making money. I mean, we are, but I'm just saying, I don't need you to tell me that we're not making money. I don't need you to tell me that you're paying out more in sick pay than you've ever known what to do with. Like, I don't need you to tell me that, but I do need you to tell me where the challenges are. So for example, she was like, look, we have no manufacturing issue for our product. We have no sales issue for our product, but we have a snag in shipping. Okay. Be transparent. Instead of saying everything's fine, we're all fine. Be transparent. Okay, we have a snag in shipping. I get it. That's reality. So I think I think even taking your question, do I have to conceal it? And even drilling into that to say, if the answer is no, I don't have to conceal it, what part of this can I share? You know, I've been in a situation where my organization is experiencing something or the organization I was with was experiencing something that would dramatically change the direction of the company. As a result of that, I really needed to take my entire workload and give it to the people on my team because I needed to be able to focus on something completely different. And the truth is, the the answer was I did need to conceal it. And there was very little that I could share with them. It was in this particular case, it was positive stuff. So what I asked myself is, okay, is there anything that I can say? I looked at the team and for the record, I've only had this team for three months and all of that in the middle of COVID-19. So we've been in a crisis mode the entire time. And I looked at them and I said, some things are happening that I have to be heavily involved in and I cannot take the lead on these other items. Here are the items that I'm talking about. I promise you, when I can tell you more, I will tell you more. Today, all you get is, 
I need to free up a large chunk of about 20 hours of my work week. And the only way that's going to happen is to give you guys more. And I I actually apologized because I didn't know how they would react. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't share more with you. And they said, we trust you. We trust that you'll share what you can when you can. And I will. And I will follow up with that. And I'll validate that. I think that it's so easy to decide I'm not going to share that. COVID-19 is another case um, that I experienced in my current job. So from a legal perspective, the only thing we were required to do was inform anyone that was in close contact so that they could seek medical treatment. That was legally the only thing that we had to do. However, I knew how the gossip meal works. And my recommendation was we need to just be able to be transparent because when I say it's a family environment within our sites, I don't mean it's a family culture. I mean, there are entire generations of extended family working in this place. So if someone is positive on second shift, it's going to take about 10 minutes for someone else on different shifts to know because they're going to get a big family text. We decided, my vote was one vote. The rest of the group decided, no, that they disagreed, that we were going to do only what we had to, which was to tell the three people that were in contact. It's what we did. And sure enough, the very next day, that entire place had a meltdown when every single employee came immediately to the site director and had an impromptu meeting because they'd already heard the news and they felt like we were hiding stuff from them. So from that moment forward, we pulled together legal, we pulled together HR, environmental health and safety, as well as quality. And we said, okay, so what are the facts that we can share when this happens? And now we have a series of talk points. And even if you did not work in the same part of the plant, your leader is prepared to share with you those facts. You know what gets me about this? I know the legalities of this for certain states, right? For mine, for example, an employer has to literally, for workers' compensation, an employer literally has to post how many workers' comp cases they have. So if they have a new workers' comp case, that number goes up. I don't understand why in the age of COVID, we aren't at least being transparent enough to say, we did have somebody test positive. If you haven't been talked to, that means you were not in close contact. We do not believe that you are at risk, but in an effort to be transparent, we want you to know that we're doing all we can to keep you safe. Hard is that. It is so easy. And you nailed it. That's exactly what we say. We say there was a case. There was someone who tested positive on this date. We tell them how long the person has been out of the facility. We let them know that if they had been in contact, they would have already heard from human resources directly in a private conversation. So if they had not heard from us, then they were not in contact. And then we walk through the actions that we take. We walk through what the medical approved cleaning process is like. We walk through all of the increased cleaning. We literally, Maria, I know you've heard this. We are literally cleaning all high touch, high surface areas in all common areas every hour of the day 
and we're open for three shifts. So we kind of walk through that. We walk through the body scanning to check for temperatures when people come to work. We walk through the reality that we don't want them to come to work if they are sick. And that's why we are paying them not to come to work sick. And so we just walk through all of those pieces and then we pause, we let them ask questions. And sometimes they do ask the most crazy questions. I had somebody yell at me and say, I know you know who it is. Well, of course I do. Well, of course they do. I'm HR. And then I simply turn it back on them. And I said, if you came to me tomorrow and discussed a personal issue, how thrilled would you be if I dropped your name in the whole plant? He goes, well, that you can't do that. And I was like, I know I can't. It doesn't matter who it is. That's irrelevant. And so for me, those are the things that you're talking about is there is a piece of transparency that can happen even if all of it can't. Well, and that's, you know, I think that's so important, especially in this time. And I feel like what a lot of business owners, again, small, medium, large, doesn't matter. A lot of business owners are doing is saying, I have to protect me, right? I have to protect me and my business and everything has to be hunky-dory and heaven forbid rumors start flying and heaven forbid people start talking. So we're not going to say anything, right? We're just going to, We're just going to sweep it. What they really need to do is invert their role and say, if I were a plant worker, would I be okay with this message? Truly, madly, deeply, right? Not as an owner, as a plant worker, would I really be okay with this? And if the answer is no, you're probably doing it wrong, right? And that's something you probably recognize like, hey, I know I can't say everything, right? I'm limited both legally and ethically as to what I can or cannot share. But as an employee, as a plant employee, I would not be happy if I at least was not aware that there was a case in the building. Right. So I think that's that's somewhere where transparency can be improved tremendously is by simply inverting that role and asking yourself how you'd feel if you were that frontline worker. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a, you know, there's a couple of pieces we need to give our listeners advice on at this point. And we've kind of mentioned some of those, right? So, you know, there's two main issues here. If you're a company and you're growing, this is so easy for you to do as you grow. But because we are such a revenue generating type of mindset when you're in an organization, right? You just focus on the revenue and being profitable and paying your bills, essentially, especially if you're a startup moving into to the middle sector. But you can do it as you grow. And I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But then if you're not and you already started growing, let's say you're a couple thousand people or a couple hundred people, right? And you're kind of moving away from that startup, but more into the middle to large sector, you know, then fix it, right? And there's a couple of pieces you can do there. But taking a look, right? You look at culture, it's about your leadership team. It's about values you instill in the organization, which every company and some sort of website has mission, vision, and values, on their website. Traditions, if they have any traditions, or if you, you listeners, have any traditions you're doing at your organization, your team members will tell you. Like, if you ask me, like, oh, yeah, every birthday, we all get a cake. We sing happy birthday to the people in the office. Like, that's a tradition. Like, we encourage birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. 
And that's what we do to encourage that. Now, you know, during times where you're not in the office, that may be the situation, right? But that's essentially what, you know, you need to identify if your location has a tradition, uh, your company has a tradition, or if you want to create that. Beliefs, right? What type of beliefs do we have? I'll tell you right now, you know, we're getting a ton of emails and follow-up on Black Lives Matter or affinity groups like Pride and women's groups and the young professionals groups, right? So I think that's a really critical component on what type of beliefs we have. Do we believe men should be paid more than women? Uh, Are we conducting that without necessarily saying that to our employees? I said being millennial myself and also being very close to people who are Gen Z. Guys, people forget Gen Z. Some of them are 22 years old. They are in your workforce. I think it's really important for people to understand this at all company stages. Generationally, companies omitted themselves from social issues, right? They didn't talk about them. They isolated themselves and they said, nope, nope, that's politics. We're business, okay? Millennials and Gen Z are no longer allowing companies to do that. They will make assumptions about your beliefs if you do not take a position, right? Particularly with large issues. Did anybody notice that their inbox, their email inbox got flooded with every company you've ever shopped with or visited their website to tell you their position on Black Lives Matter? They did it because they understand that their employees will walk. Their employees will not stand for them not taking a position. And I think it's really, really important for companies to understand that they may not be as isolated. And now here's the thing. I'm not telling you that you need to go out and send an email to all of your customers about how you feel about Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ communities or whatever. However, right, your actions and your policies have to align. I will tell you right now that I worked for a company that told me they wanted to empower women and there were men making way more money than I did. So I don't care if you say you want to empower me, do not pay me 80 cents on the dollar. And I think you need to openly welcome the discourse around it, right? So if that means I'm going to tell all my leaders, look, you and your teams need to have a conversation about this. Grab a conference room, talk about how they're feeling and listen to them. That's all I want you to do, right? Even just that act of listening will tell your employees that you care about their beliefs and making them a part of your beliefs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's that's important, right? Beliefs is huge in an organization. And like you mentioned, Gen Z, millennials, they're straight into it. So whether or not you want to come out and say it, they will create that culture for your organization, whether you stay silent on a topic or you're outspoken on it. And then, you know, obviously your behaviors and your attitude towards day to day. And there's so many factors here from a cultural perspective, right? I think it's important not only from how you compensate your employees, but how you're taking a look at how you treat your employees on a day to day. And listen, it's not about giving it's not about giving food and doing all these luncheons. I mean, granted, if you're in a call center, it's fantastic you're throwing food at people uh, or if you're in Google and you make them work all day, 
Of course, I would expect there to be a cafeteria with some sort of food available and maybe uh, an occasional free lunch there. But I think it's really important. Your attitudes and your leader's attitudes are the most critical. You, you can't stand, you know, behind one leader versus another or one employee versus another either. I think that's a critical component. And you know what? Communication is not a strength for everybody. It's a reality, right? But you can't tolerate the inability to communicate in your leadership. You have to find them the resources, attempt to push them to that next level, or you've got to get rid of them. Because when you have, when your core, you mentioned it in the beginning, Maria, no, um, Nicole, it was you actually, where you said, it's not always the emperor, right? A lot of times it's the people in the middle. If you allow the people in the middle to drive the bus the wrong way because they, whatever, they think they're protecting you from the truth, whatever it is, allowing that to exist sets you up for failure. I remember the first time I said that in a training class where I was like, if you've done your job and you've coached them and you've provided feedback, and you've made sure that the expectations were crystal clear, then they got to go. And I remember the whole room going, what? And I'm like, if like if you can look in the mirror and say you've done your job to set them up for success, and you answer that question, yes, and there are Karen, Karen's got to go. Karen's got to go. Yep. Right. You're just going to let Karen go because she like, is that going to be on her final write up like her termination paperwork? You don't believe in our culture. I, yes, it fucking is. Yes, it is. I might even put in there. You're dumbass and don't believe in our culture. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's it's a reality, right? You you are never going to hire perfectly every time, every time. And if you've got a leader who is just not willing to get on board. So um, Nicole, Maria knows this about me. And now all of our listeners will know this about me as well. I firmly believe that when you are honored with the position to be in charge of other people, that you better be ready to step up your game and take ownership of that. You know, yes, you get to be frustrated by stuff. Yes, you get to have a bad day, but you are put in that position because your job is to make sure your team is having a good day. So in my opinion, it's okay to go to your leaders and say, suck it up, cupcake, get it together and do your damn job. Yeah, I think you're 100% accurate on this. 100%. And here's the other thing. If you are so blessed (laughs) as to lead other people, be prepared to be wrong and be okay with it, right? The worst thing about, and this is where that bad culture in the middle comes from, is there are a lot of leaders out there who cannot accept being wrong or being less than perfect. I actually had a GM once where I literally could not say to him, look, like, I respect and appreciate you. However, this thing that you did, I think it's bad for us because. Like, that was unexpected because he, he did not have... The ability, I personally believe, a a friend of mine told me about this. I personally believe leaders need to be able, in order to have like really strong relationships and culture, they need to be able to be a duck, an armadillo, and a chameleon. Have you ever heard of this? A good leader needs to be able to be a duck to let things just wash off their back. 
It's not personal. It's not personal when I come to you and I'm frustrated as your employee and I'm venting to you. It's not personal when I'm telling you that maybe there's a policy in place that I don't like or disagree with, or maybe I think that there's something you could do that's a little bit better. I'm not personally attacking you. I'm coming to you for betterment and you need to be the duck. You need to let things, that water flow off your back. You need to be an armadillo, right? When you're in middle management, you need to have the ability to take hard hits, that tough exterior shell, okay? Because you're getting it from the bottom and you're getting it from the top. And a lot of times that's kind of when the culture collapses because they can't handle any more like hits, right? So they're like, we're just going to keep everything happy, 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 happy. And you have to be a chameleon. You have to adapt to your surroundings. I'm not going to have a conversation with Maria as her leader the same way that I'm going to have a conversation with Michelle. You are two very different people, right? And so if you can't be those three things, you really need to question whether or not you should be a leader in the first place. Yeah, but so many leaders, Nicole, have been forced or put into their position not ready because companies don't have time to fully develop their leaders successfully, nor do they have a training department to do that once they do push someone into that. Well, that's a conversation for another day on why investments in training and development are huge because let me tell you, Bad, I have left jobs for bad training and development. Absolutely. 100%. Even though I could do my job just fine, that wasn't the point. The point was they were not invested in helping me be better. But yes, I think you are correct. I think there are companies that throw leaders into their positions. And that's why I think, you know, this podcast is great for owners and things like that. But I guarantee you that there are people listening to this right now. I hope there are who might be employees aspiring to be in a position of leadership, right? And so if you're not getting that training and development from your organization, let me help you in saying that these are the types of things that you need to be. And you need to do some personal reflection and identify, okay, can I be these things? And if I'm not able to, these are the things I need to work on my personal development so that I can be a good leader, so that I can further a good company culture. So. Where do people start in all of this? So I'm in a company. I'm not the startup where I was like, everybody's bought in. I've hired every, like I've hired my best five friends or people that I know who are bought into what I want to do and all of this stuff, right? I'm not that startup gig, but now I'm in the middle area, either trying to do it as I go or trying to identify where the challenges are. So what tools do we give our listeners so that they can fix this shit? So we talked about the transparency. I think that's really important. And I think that's something they can implement right now on any level, right? We talked a lot about it with COVID, but they can implement that tomorrow in their messaging, in the way that they communicate things to people. I also think it's really, really important to recognize and celebrate good contributions from people. I think that's huge for employees, even if it's not right the top of the top. So for example, I'm in a sales organization, right? And sales organizations always recognize numbers, right? Always. Well, it's really important to recognize good contributions that aren't necessarily dollars and cents. So I always do, actually for my team, I do team awards and I give out 15 awards, right? Not a single one of them has to do with numbers. It has to do with things like 
helping your coworkers, right? It has to do with things with bringing positive inspiration. It has to do with being a good role model or leader, right? Recognize those things in your people and celebrate them, even if they're not dollars and cents things. I think those are probably the two biggest things that you can implement right now. You don't have to give people like fancy plaques either. They just want to be celebrated. Yeah. And if you don't know, survey your population on culture or get roundtables together. I think the more you hear about what people actually have determined your culture to be, then the more you can then set a clear direction. I think it's also interesting if you have, um, all of us have customers to some degree. If you have customers who actively interact with your employee population, survey them. Maybe maybe you have some kind of loyalty program. So there's some trusted folks that you can go to. Ask your customers how they feel. I would avoid the word culture. And I would avoid all words that directly link to that. And I would say things like, how do you feel when you think about our company? How are you treated when you interact with our employees? But then the same thing for your employees. How are you treated when you interact with your leadership? You know, when you come to work, how do you feel? How do you feel within your work team? Usually you'll, people will say, start with the end in mind. But the great thing, and we talked about this, that culture is a little bit bottom up and it's a little bit top down, right? The leaders, that that C-suite of your organization, you know that bigger vision, you know that five-year, 10-year strategy. You have to weave that into who you are as a company, but your employee base, they're the ones that are going to live that culture and make it real for the company. So you can find out what they want to be in those same roundtables. I can remember the pride I felt actually when FedEx bought Kinko's in when I was in the airport and people would be like, hey, where do you work? It'd be like FedEx office, right? Because there was this sense of admiration that came from people because of the reputation of FedEx. So, you know, how do people tell someone at the gas station where they work when they get that question? What do they say about what they do for a living? All of those things can help you understand what your employee base really believes about you and your brand. And you can build that easily into what you want your culture to be. I love everything that you said. I just want to add something because Maria also said roundtables. You were talking about surveying customers. And I love both of those things. I think what's really important in roundtables for leaders to understand, to get that good, solid feedback is they have to be willing to say what the shortcomings are too, or what they think the shortcomings are too. Because if I, as a leader, walk into a roundtable and I say, okay, tell me how you feel. No one's going to tell me bad things. I actually have to kind of open the door a little bit and make it okay to say those things, right? So everyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, I love it. I love coming to work. I feel great coming to work. And I'm gonna be like, you know what? There's some days that I'm really frustrated because of X, Y, and Z. Because that leader has to has to basically signal to them, it's okay for it to not be perfect. I'm telling you it's not perfect for me and I wanna work with you and foster that relationship to make it better. 
What if you don't know if it's perfect or not? Do you then, do you still say that there's a shortcoming even if you're not aware of it? What if you're the CEO of a large company? If you're the CEO of a large company and you have no idea that there is some certain short, like if you truly madly deeply believe that you don't have a single shortcoming in your entire organization, you're not paying attention, right? There is not a perfect organization on planet earth. It does not exist. And I have built a very successful organization and I can still tell you that there's stuff I suck at, right? If it were perfect, I would have no turnover. I would have no bad days. I would have, I would never have a fire to put out, right? Doesn't exist. So here's what I'm going to say is if you're a CEO or a leader or whatever, and you truly madly deeply cannot come up with one shortcoming in your organization, as far as how you feel or how people feel, you're not paying enough attention. Correct. You also need to have an agenda because you don't want it to turn into a bitch fest either. There is definitely a difference between voicing concerns in a way to make or to at least attempt to make improvements and being caring, right? You should be extremely thoughtful in who facilitates those sessions um, because what you need is someone that's going to be willing to demonstrate that transparency, but you need someone who is skilled enough at facilitation to keep people on track while respecting and even, I'm going to use the word validating, but I don't mean validating in that I agree with your statement. I mean, validating from a place of empathy that I agree that you believe in that statement, right? And you've got to have someone who is willing to stand up there and possibly hear some pretty tough things about the company that you might love. So be thoughtful at who leads those sessions. Yeah, you can't be defensive, but you can't let people roll over you either. I like to tell my team a lot, like, I try to live in the solution, okay? So that doesn't mean that I don't identify that we have problems or that you can't identify that we have problems. But I do want to know, in your perfect world, what would the solution to that look like? I don't care if you feel like it's unrealistic or you don't have it all mapped out, but I think it really does help employees not focus in that bitch fest area, right? And go, okay, so... Here's the deal. I am frustrated about X, Y, and Z. And if I were king for a day, here's how I would fix it, right? And then we can talk out the solution portion of it in that round table of what that looks like. We've identified that there's a problem. I accept that there's a problem. I accept that you feel this way. So let's talk about why that solution fixes the problem and why that makes you feel better. So I think that's really important too in facilitation to not let it be a bitch fest is not only having an agenda, but having a structure to the conversation as far as, okay, I want to hear exactly what your complaint is, but I also want to hear, no matter how crazy you think it is or how big or how small, what you would do to solve it. You could, to that point, Nicole, you could theoretically go into this roundtable with just three solid questions. Describe us in ideal state. If we were perfect world, what would it look like? And then you could move to what are the things that are getting in our way of being in that perfect place? And what are the solutions to solve those things? I love it. 
I love it. That would welcome dialogue, in my opinion. So then how long do you wait to pulse check and what do you do to find out if your changes worked? I think timing's subjective, right? I think it does depend on the size of the business. I think it also depends on what kinds of changes you've made. It's not going to be overnight that people notice, but they're also, they don't want to wait a year to tell you whether or not it worked especially when it's things like communication or cultures and traditions or transparency, right? Or things like that. They're going to let you know probably pretty quick. And I would say about maybe three to six months, employees would be able to see at least if you're going in the right direction. It may not be solved, but I think that's a really good time to identify if they're actually seeing some sort of progress. Yeah, and I would recommend that you know, you as an HR person or as a people leader, walk around and engage to identify that on a one-off. I mean, you can resurvey or re-roundtable your populations, but it's also good to just get random pulse checks throughout. And, you know, I think you'll also see it without necessarily even asking. Happy employees are more productive and they stick around, right? Your turnover will stop, not stop entirely, but if you're seeing 50% churn right now, right? If you're seeing that slowly decline, you might be moving in the right direction. If you are seeing people's productivity, no matter how you measure that, right? If it's a call center and you're measuring calls, if it's manufacturing and you're measuring, you know, finished parts, however you're doing that, you will see even slight improvements in productivity as your culture gets better. Because I'll work a hell of a lot harder for a place that I think values me and that we I'm happy with and I align with. I think these are great pieces for you, know, you as a business or you as an employee in a company or you as an HR individual in an organization to leverage to make sure that you're successful, right? So we've given you... Here's how you do it, you know, impromptu. You need to do it as you go, conducting these same methods or, you know, conducting some of these same pieces, right? Instilling beliefs, traditions as you continue to go through your organization and growth. But, you know, I think there's also some, you know, just kind of overarching pieces that we've discussed that are just critical to your business that you need to leverage. So, that is essentially the the sum of everything. Now, you can't fix culture overnight. It's going to take time and effort. And I can't reiterate that. And Nicole mentioned it as well, that culture takes time. But we are here for you at Real Talent. If you need us as a resource um, to help you consult through that. Also, I have a resource for you. I just read a fantastic book called An Everyone Culture. Becoming a Deliberately Developmental Organization by Robert Keegan. So it's a fantastic resource. It's a fantastic book, very colorful on the outside, but gives some really great tips and tricks um, for you as an organization to create a culture for everyone around you and make sure that everyone is driven to that same you know, to that same drive, right? Nicole mentioned she's willing to work harder and stick around if you invest and she feels like you value her. And 
There's so many individuals that say that. And Nicole, I don't know if you have any quotes or any resources or just any final words for our listeners here. Here's, I don't have any great resources for this. I have resources for a lot of things, but not for culture. And that's because what I've learned about culture has come a lot from my experiences on both sides of the coin. And so I will leave you with my parting thoughts in that people in your organization are your most valuable asset above anything else. And I think it's really important for you to remember that those people are not replaceable pieces of a machine. They are human beings with thoughts and feelings. And just like any other relationship, when you nurture those, those thoughts and feelings and desires for growth, you will see incredible return on investment. Stop thinking about people as disposable. Start thinking about people as part of your world, your tribe, this organization that you're building, and you will see a phenomenal change in your business. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So next time on next episode, we will be talking about performance culture versus company culture. Very, very juicy stuff we have to share with you. So stay tuned, listeners. Thank you. Bye. Bye.